Welcome to Tracks Through Time. I'm your host and Freightways Deputy Editor, Brielle Jekyll, and I'm here to tell you about some of the most interesting stories throughout history in transportation and freight. I am here yet again with the wonderful Mary O'Connell, fellow Freightways TV host and basically my part-time co-host. <laughs> um, I'm happy to be here, Brielle. It's always a good time hanging out with you, learning fun facts about history. Well, we love to have you. So today, we're diving into a pivotal moment in the history of transportation and freight, the Suez Canal Crisis of 1956. So get ready as we embark on a journey through time to explore how this crisis really shaped the world of shipping and international relations. So starting off, the Suez Canal, which is actually an engineering marvel, it connects the Mediterranean Sea to the Red Sea and provides a serious shortcut between Europe and Asia. You can actually learn more about this at FreightWaves Classics. We have quite a bit of information on the construction of the Suez Canal itself because it is such an old uh, marvel of engineering. And also, it has a lot of great history. But today, we're focused on one story in history. So let's rewind a bit. Um, the story um, of the canal actually starts in the mid-19th century, um, and in 1859, the canal opened its doors for the first time. A dream turned into reality through the vision and determination of Ferdinand de Lesseps, a French diplomat and engineer. And the canal reduced the voyage from Europe to Asia by thousands of miles, transforming global trade absolutely forever. And if that name sounds familiar to you, um, if you rewind and go back to our Panama Canal episode, he, uh, Ferdinand de Lesseps is also featured in that episode as well. So and you could say he's like, you could say he's like a, a godfather of the canal. You know, absolutely. like he is the father of all canals. He is the canal expert. Yes. And like I said in that episode, uh, it's really exciting for us Bravo fans because Countess Luanne de Lesseps gets her name from her marriage through a descendant of this guy. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, um, it's really hard to overstate the impact of the Suez Canal on the world of transportation and freight. All of a sudden, ships of all sizes were able to journey between continents with ease, you know, carrying goods and people to to brand new places that were never connected before. Um, but fast forward to the mid 20th century and we encounter a crisis that really shook the world. Um, so stirrings of this conflict began when Egyptian President Gamal Abdul Nasser uh, nationalized the Suez Canal. And he, he wanted to take control from its previous British and French owners, um, who uh, 67 years... So this happened 67 years ago yesterday on July 26th, 1956. So while the joint British and French Empire owned and operated the canal since 1869 to July 1956... Um, it had actually become a symbol of national pride for Egypt, and it was located in Egypt. So um, uh, the president decided to nationalize the canal and kind of take control uh, and keep it under uh, Egyptian forces. 
And it also held immense strategic and economic significance for the West. So this was a really important move um, for all of shipping all over the world. So Nasser offered full economic compensation for the Suez Canal Company, um, but Britain and France, they were very scared of the loss of their vital trade route, and they really wanted to protect their interests, so they devised a plan to retake the canal by force. In a coordinated attack, Israel... What? <laughs> no, it was coordinated. <laughs> okay. I was giggling because it's a coordinated attack to take a body of water um, by force or like a, an area of land. Like it's still just water. You can't like, I'm just in my mind. The first thing that happened was um, that they just, they just were like, all right, everybody get as many buckets as you can. And they're just going to go attack like in like physically take it. I know logistically, like that is not at all a real thing. But that is the first thing that popped into my head, which is why I had to snicker, because um, obviously you just fight for control of it. You don't physically take the water out. But uh, my brain did immediately jump to uh, just getting a, a bunch of buckets and one at a time pumping water out of the canal. Your brain is a Looney Tunes cartoon. <laughs> I'm not mad about it. But... Um, in reality, actual bombs and airstrikes and, you know, real conflict uh, became a part of this attack. So proper uh, war, not just a bunch of buckets. Yeah, no buckets were involved. I mean, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in a coordinated attack, Israel invaded uh, the Sinai Peninsula and they provided a pretext for British and French military intervention and to Nasser, this was a throwback to the European efforts of col of colonial domination. So, to, you know, there there had been years of Europe, you know, dominating different areas and and uh, uh, turning them into colonies. And so, this was kind of a throwback to that for him, as well as taking control of what was a very important national, um, I want to say, monument, national, uh, a pride, a, a you know, a source of pride for the country. So both military and personnel and civilians saw casualties, unfortunately. You know, this was a true conflict. It was a real, you know, like I said, airstrikes and bombing. Um, but historical accounts actually differ on the exact number of, you know, um, how many people were injured, um, perished, et cetera. Um, but Israel and British and French forces, they carried out numerous bombings and airstrikes throughout the, the conflict itself. And the canal itself did suffer damage. And at point, Egyptian authorities really scuttled ships, which means they purposely sank them in an attempt to block the canal and stop advancing forces of the opposition. Um, bombing caused damage to banks, facilities, and infrastructure, and ships passing through were at serious risk for attack. So it really affected global shipping. That kind of like, I feel like almost brings it to a halt because why would I, if, because it was just in the 50s, so it wasn't like back in yesteryear, like there was, there was actual like global economy at that point in time. So pretty much it brings the world to a screeching halt just so they can fight over who has control of it, which I know that's a very lucrative thing to have control over. And I'm sure it made sense at the time, but it does seem a bit, um, it seems a bit dramatic when maybe, you know, you don't have to attack someone. You can just like drop up a contract and split profits or whatever you want to do. Um, right. It seems a bit aggressive to shut down the entire world just so you can have a little fight. 
Well, it gets even more dramatic in a little bit. But before we get to that, um, yeah, I will say that before this was in the 50s, so we weren't at true globalization yet. But this was obviously a very important route for shipping for, you know, hundreds of years uh, or for 100 years at this point. Um, And so this really led to serious disruptions in trade and transportation. But the world really changed since the canal's construction. The crisis played out against the backdrop of the Cold War, which really made this conflict um, very different in the eyes of other countries involved. Um, So with the United States and the Soviet Union vying for influence, um, and the U.S. was led by President Dwight Eisenhower at the time, and so he condemned the invasion and really pressured the European powers to withdraw their forces. But let's go back a few months uh, to, to some things that were brewing behind the scenes. So prior to the attack in October, Eisenhower really tried to attempt to de-escalate through diplomatic settlement. On September 9th, the U.S. Secretary of State John Foster Doulas uh, proposed an international consortium of 18 world-leading maritime nations to operate the canal instead of just these one or two countries maintaining complete control. It would be a whole group of people, you know, sharing uh, the responsibility of the canal. It would be called the Suez Canal Users Association, or SCUA. Uh, it would have meant equal stake in the canal for Britain, France, and Egypt, all those involved in the in the crisis. Um, but others, but unfortunately, with others, it did not win full support. Um, throughout discussions, British authorities with the United States were alluding to using force against Egypt leading up to October. But in secret, the British and French were really holding military consultations with Israel without letting anyone else know. Um, so Israel became involved when it uh, because it feared that Nasser was a threat to its security. And the full plan was actually to overthrow the Egyptian president. So this was a lot more than just the canal, but it was all behind the scenes, you know, motivations. And um, so then the attack on October came, in October came, and British and France entered the conflict under the under the guise of protecting the canal during the fight or uh, you know, protecting their own interests while these two forces were were under conflict. They were acting as if they just wanted to make sure the canal and their interests would be preserved. But what really it was was a plan to overthrow the um, British, uh, I'm sorry, the Egyptian uh, president. I mean, that's kind of like a good old fashioned, no, no, it's fine. We're just going to sit here and watch it. It's like when um, you know, you used to you used to like call seat check before you got up, and your siblings just were like, "Yeah, we'll guard your your seat. It's fine." And then you come back, and everything's taken, and they're just like, "Well, I just wanted to take it from you." That's essentially what this is. This is a tug of war over, um, you know, this important shipping um, route. When in reality, there's so there's there's a whole nother fight going on behind the scenes with your older brother, and you know, exactly. So, <laughs> Obviously, these conflicts are very complicated and a lot goes into it. But as the war went on, the threat of nuclear escalation really loomed uh, and the United Nations finally intervened, calling for a ceasefire and the withdrawal of all invading forces. In the end, 
it became a really significant shift in global politics with the decline of Britain and France as world powers. And it kind of helped um, the rise of the United States and the Soviet Union as superpowers. Today, the canal is operated and maintained by the state-owned Suez Canal Authority, SCA, of Egypt. So because of the United States and the United Nations, we were uh, Egypt was able to keep its hold over the canal. But what about the canal itself? Um, so like I said, it was uh, in Egyptian hands, but it also became a continued to become a vital conduit for international trade. So the Suez Canal is another important aspect of globalization because um, it really did help preserve these, you know, growing roots in different countries and connecting things and, you know, making this a global economy. In the following years, the canal witnessed a lot of modernization uh, effects to accommodate larger vessels, uh, revolutionizing freight transportation even further. Uh, the world's dependence on this waterway grew, making it one of the most crucial trade routes, routes in the world. Um, and so we come to the end of our voyage through the Suez Canal crisis of 1956. And it's really incredible how a single event can shape the course of history in transportation and freight. And like I said, this is not the only time the Suez Canal has been involved in these kind of uh, situations uh, on Freightwaves Classics. You can find a whole article about how we were, uh, um, how a bunch of boats were, bunch of ships were stuck in the canal for years because of more conflicts that arise. They were unable to leave. And um, there wasn't, some of the um, personnel had to go back and forth and they were able to be transported out. Um, but some, but one or two men actually remained with their ships the entire time of that conflict. Uh, and that is a pretty interesting story that I highly suggest to you. So I was looking that up before <laughs> I started, before I, um, before I joined you today. And I was like, wait a second. So there was enough conflict that like ships couldn't leave. Right. But they could cycle off people like three months at a time. So I'm like, what? what because like people were still able to leave so like i guess the goods are in the boat just got stuck that feels very much like of a principle of the matter it could not leave um but i did appreciate that they were like yeah people can leave and come back and apparently they like set up their own community complete with like um recreation activities and like stamps and like their own addresses and it's yeah. um it was like a whole little community of these ships that were just stuck in the canal um fun fact after they were done, only two of those ships were allowed or could sail out on their own accord, like could sail out unassisted, which was pretty impressive um, that they were able to maintain their ship that long. Right. And um, I think there was um, they played like sports on the ship decks and things like that. They really kind of created their own culture or society. Um, it, you know, like I said, people were coming and going somehow. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it really kind of created this this whole ecosystem within itself um, because they were stuck there. And as we know, it's not the only time the canal was uh, stuck or clogged, literally, when a few years ago, a uh, the uh, major uh, situation happened where the uh, Ever Given was uh, lodged in the canal and prevented um, anyone <laughs> or uh, 
provided a lot of backlog for shipping in there. To be fair, I did think that's what you were going to talk about first today because I was like, that's the only thing that's like really happened in the Suez Canal. Um, I was wrong. I formed. There are so many things that have happened in the Suez Canal and uh, I feel like you could do like a whole year of Suez Canal episodes and would still not even cover it all. Exactly. I tricked you. <laughs> you you got, got me. Um, but I have some Suez Canal fun facts for you. And one of them is actually like really cool. Hit me. All right. So, um, you know, you, you, you are intimately familiar with the Statue of Liberty having worked in New York City. You are intimately familiar with it. Did you know that it almost didn't exist in America? It almost, it was originally planned to go to the Suez Canal to be like a, uh, like a woman carrying the light from Europe to Asia and et cetera. Um, but apparently it was too expensive and uh, they couldn't get the funding for it. So they just sent it to America where people were willing to pay for it. Um, because actually, if you go to the Statue of Liberty, like the museum in the base of the the statue herself, um, the museum down there actually goes and explains how um, they were able to fund the Statue of Liberty. And it was through a lot of, like, you know, average people donations. They would it was outsource five cents. Yeah, they just basically crowdsourced it. Um, and it was fantastic. And uh, that part was really, that part was actually really cool to me that, um, you know, they, we that that's how we got the Statue of Liberty. But also we almost missed out on it if Egypt could have gotten the funds together. Right. It was actually the designer, the artist, he had created it, brought it to Egypt. And and um, I think it would have been difficult with the sand, too, uh, if I... I feel like that would have worn it down a lot faster because I know that, like, you know, they have problems with, like, the ocean salt wearing down the copper and, you know, affecting the metal that's on there. And they have a lot of restoration projects on it. So I imagine the sand would have done quite a number on that right. as well. Well, you know that they knew it was going to turn green. It wasn't supposed to always be. I, exactly. I, I was shocked to hear that. But yeah, he he re- he uh, shocked that design around and was like, how about we gift this to the France, uh, from France, from the people of France, not the government, because it was crowdsourced, to America. I absolutely love that. It's just kind of cute. Um, in slightly less cute news, do you know how much money the Suez Canal makes a day? No. $15 million. Like the canal itself. Yeah, the canal itself makes $15 million a day. That's they goodness. want to try and bring in $7 billion by the end of the year. And I mean, that's no small feat. Well, it's undergone serious um, new innovations and iterations throughout the years. So um, all of that work put into it, I would hope <laughs> that it would make. So uh, I, I I like it. Um, I think this, you know, I feel I feel like the Suez Canal is very underrated. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just feel like it's pretty underrated. Everybody just kind of takes it for granted because it's there, especially in the global um, supply chain. It's people just, you know, it's just they just assume it's going to be there. And um, I think when it was uh, clogged up by old ever given for a while, I think everyone kind of realized like, oh, we actually do need to you know, maintain the infrastructure of these canals and everything like that. Same with um, the Panama Canal. It's very important and crucial to, um, you know, a global trade. Well, I think about the past, like in in high school or, you know, growing up, learning history, we learned a lot about the Panama Canal. I I, I was not taught a single thing about the Suez Canal in school. Uh, but the 
So it, it, the Panama Canal, I feel like in American culture, gets all the glory when really the Suez Canal was first. Um, and it really changed things. It has all of this history, all of these really interesting conflicts and 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 different dynamics that have happened. Um, and it was built in in um, 18. Um, sorry, I forgot the actual year. Um, but no, but it, it has it has it has all that history, and I mean, there's even some reports that Egyptian used Egyptians used it in like 1800 BC. So like mm-hmm. this thing has been around in some iteration for a while. I mean, it was called like the the Canal of the Pharaohs in Egyptian time. Like that is absolutely right. insane. And you're right. All I ever learned about in school was the Panama Canal, which is a really cool thing, but you know, it's it doesn't it's not quite of a heavy hitter as the Suez, right? So it was actually um, the the first like uh, um, idea of the Suez Canal was created by Egyptian pharaoh uh, Sunerset of uh, the third the third of the twelfth dynasty, which uh, he commissioned a successful connection between the Red Sea and the Mediterranean through the Nile, um, and it it was able to drive trade between the east and west. Um, and it's not exactly the same path. But it's really it, it's nearby, and it it's was really close enough for me. You know, <laughs> it's good enough for government work. It's good. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll count it. <laughs> and yeah, so basically, it was the start of the trade between the east and the west uh, in that area. I absolutely because people have always needed to get from east to west, and you know, it's really exhausting and impractical in 1800 BC to sail all around like the Horn of Africa. And back around, like, let's just cut out the middleman. Was that difficult in BC times? Do you think it was difficult back then? Yeah, I would imagine it was pretty challenging. Someone goes out and never comes back. Yeah, I would say it took months and years. If that, if they even had it, if they even knew what it was, they just went into the unknown. We should cut this part. (laughs) Oh, God, it's a hot mess. It's not a good day. I'm still sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how you want to close this one out? <laughs> yep. All right. So actually, uh, remains of the pharaoh can still be seen today near the city of Suez um, after a dam formed and isolated the Bitter Lakes in 610 BC. And others attempted to revive it or create similar uh, waterway connections in the centuries to follow. But no avail into the actual uh, Suez Canal's official inauguration. Thank you. The Suez Canal has been around for us for so long. Yes. Well, um, since Mary stole my uh, Statue of Liberty fun fact of the day, that marks the end. Uh, I stole yours. You stole mine. Uh, (laughs) So this marks the end of today's episode. Um, So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jacob Brielle to see what else we have going on at Freightwaves Classics. Um, and you can email me at bjiggle at freightwaves.com and tune in two weeks for our next episode on Freightwaves TV or listen to the show wherever you get your podcasts.